great to be with you all this morning, and uh, I'm super excited to have yet another opportunity to open God's Word with you, and it's been such a joy to open God's Word and look at Peter's amazing letter, his first letter. And so I just want to thank you yet again for allowing me to share my life and really God's Word with you all. So last Sunday, we're going to do a quick recap of where we were. We talked about how Peter was calling us sojourners and exiles on this earth, beloved citizens of heaven, for the Lord's sake, to be subject to every human institution, to those in the highest positions of power, which in his day were emperors and our day is presidents, right? To those under them, governors and other rulers. We talked about how God ordained these institutions. They were his idea, right? And how they, their created goal was to restrain evil, promote the public good, and punish wrongdoing. We talked about how fallen people are going to govern in fallen ways. That's kind of the, the downside to it, right? And then when there's a dispute between God's word and the laws of our land, we are to obey God's word first, right? Leaving the results to him. I was talking to Tim afterward, and he reminded me of this great verse from James. For those who know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's sin. So there's an obligation to follow God's word. We have the moral obligation to follow him and to do the right thing. We talked about the reason we live this way is so those who don't yet know Jesus would see the freedom of the life that we have in him, a freedom of, of life submitted to him, to what, a, to what that freedom to a higher authority looks like. And we ended by talking about how as a free people in Jesus— we are to serve God, honor everyone, love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and honor the leaders God has put over us because Jesus did the same thing which resulted in our salvation. And so anything he's asking us to do, he did first. He went first. He went ahead of us, right? And that led to our salvation. So that was last week. And so this morning, we're going to continue with this idea of submitting ourselves to King Jesus. We're going to do that today and also next Sunday. And we're going to look at today our relationships with our employers, right? Our work. And what does it look like to submit to, the empl- uh, to employers and, and, and to work hard and, and to do all of that under the authority of King Jesus, right? So today, we're going to be talking about our work and how Jesus wants to show up mightily in it and through it. So to do this, we're going to first look at what, what was going on in Peter's day. After we understand that, we're going to build a bridge then to our day, trusting that the Holy Spirit can take this passage and relate it to our employers, to our employment, right? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. So why don't we pray? And then our goal this morning is to let the gospel, to let the good news of Jesus impact our work. So that's our big idea today, that the gospel can impact our work. The gospel isn't just what gets us saved. I mean, although it does that, but it also impacts every area of our life. And so today's focus is, how does the gospel, this good news of Christ, impact our work? So let's pray, and then we'll dive into 1 Peter 2. So Father, I want to thank you that we can come together this morning Thank you, Jesus, that you have done everything possible to save us, to call us to yourself. And Spirit, thank you for taking what Jesus has done 
and applying it to our account. Thank you, Lord, that you became sin so that we become your righteousness in you. And I, I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that you are certainly at work among us, uh, drawing us to yourself and opening our eyes to see how this gospel doesn't just save us, but it really does transform every area of our lives, including our work and our relationships and all these different things. So thank you for the gospel. And I pray this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak through this passage in First Peter, that your Spirit would speak through me to this group this morning, and, and, and honestly, Lord, that your Spirit would speak to all of us about our work, about our employment, about the kind of attitudes that you would have us have there. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see what it is you want us to see from 1 Peter 2. So thank you that we can look at 1 Peter 2 this morning. Thanks that we have been looking at this letter, and it's been so powerful and convicting and challenging. And I'm sure today's going to be no different. So Lord, we give our time to you and, and this passage to you, and we ask that you would speak through it to our hearts and that we would see you and, and then love you by obeying what we see here. So thank you, Lord, for this. In your name, amen. All right, friends, so we are in 1 Peter 2 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25 is kind of our focal point. And we're going to break it down and, and take a look at it together. But here it is, 1 Peter 2, 18 through 25. Here's our passage for today. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, there's that mindful of God thing again, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. There's that sight of God again, right? For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What an amazing and challenging passage, right? So to help us understand this, I want to look at three points with us this morning. The first point, and these are all in your, your bulletin, right? The first point is being subject as servants in Peter's day. We've got to understand what in the world's going on in Peter's day, right, if we're going to understand this passage. So number one, we're going to look at what's it look like to be subject as servants in Peter's day. Number two, we're going to build a bridge. And we're going to, what's it look like to be subject to our employers today? And then number three, why? Why do we have to do this passage? And number three is really the main reason for our subjection. All right, so let's start with number one, being subject as servants in Peter's day. So I want to look at verse uh, 18 through 20 one more time. Actually, a few more times. So here's the first time we're looking at it, right? It says this, servants, 
Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter starts this section by telling servants to be subject to their masters with all respect. Now, right off the bat, there's that tension again that we talked about last week. Servants, masters, you feel the tension already, right? I think I wince at this language because my mind immediately goes to modern slavery where slavery was race-based, lifelong, and based on kidnapping. And it was horrific. So that's why we're starting with slavery and servanthood in Peter's day because it's so easy just to say, well, there's that word slavery in the Bible, so it just, we just got to you know, take our culture and just put it right on top of it. No, we can't do that, Right? We can't. We've got to look at what the context is saying and what was going on in that day. So, so important, right? So I was reading all kinds of different books and co- commentaries and articles on this this week. And according to Tim Keller, he wrote this book on work called Every Good Endeavor. And this is what he said about this. There is good evidence that much of slavery in the ancient world, remember we're talking about Peter's Day, right? Much of slavery in the ancient world was very harsh and brutal. But there's also lots of evidence that many slaves were not treated like African slaves would be, but lived normal lives and were paid the going wage, but were not allowed to quit or change employers and were in slavery an average of 10 years. Prisoners of war often became slaves, and men could be sentenced to being galley slaves for crimes. A person could become a slave for a set period of time in order to work off debts because there was no such thing as bankruptcy in ancient times. Often the result was an indentured servanthood for years until the debts were paid. To our surprise, slaves could own slaves, and many slaves were doctors, professors, administrators, and civil servants. So according to Keller and a ton of other scholars, slavery and servanthood in Peter's day was different than what it is in our day. Some of the slaves were treated harshly, right? We see that in 1 Peter because we're going to see what kind of treatment they're supposed to, you know, Peter's talking about. So some were treated harshly, but others, others weren't. Keller goes on to say that not even slaves thought the whole institution should be abolished. That's why Peter and Paul's letters, we're looking at Peter's letters, do not aim at abolishing slavery, but rather to transform and variegated ancient institution from the inside out, right? The idea was that the gospel was going to change this thing from the inside out. The idea was to change it from the inside out so that it would eventually wilt and die through the gospel. And that's honestly, friends, why I love the gospel so much. It's not just the ABCs to the Christian life. It's actually the A. It's not just what saves us and gets us in the game. It's what sustains us. It's how we grow. The gospel is not just, uh, it's really truly meant to impact every single area of our lives, not just our afterlife. The gospel is meant to change every single area 
of our lives. So according to the gospel, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, they were free, right? Not just to run off and do whatever, but free to be the Lord's bondservants. In Christ, there's no longer slave nor free, but all are free in him. Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't just meant to change their afterlife situation. It was meant to change every single thing about their lives, including in that day, the servant-master relationship and that dynamic. And we see this in other books of the New Testament. There's that little tiny letter tucked kind of toward the back of the New Testament called Philemon. Onesimus, a slave, runs off, gets saved under Paul, and Paul sends him back to Philemon. Paul tells Philemon that Onesimus is now a brother in the Lord and to treat him as such. And Onesimus, a servant of Jesus now, was supposed to return to Philemon and work with a new Christian work ethic. The gospel was meant to change that whole thing. And Paul's like, listen, Philemon, you've you got to let the gospel sink into this. You've got to let the gospel change this. He ran away, and he was really no use to you at that point, but now you have him back as a brother. You've got to let the gospel change and transform this. And thankfully, I believe he does. So in time, as the gospel sinks into the hearts of Christians, Keller then continues to say that the slave-master relationship was slowly being transformed from the inside out. That as the gospel did its work, it undermined and weakened the institution of slavery among Christians so that it was emptied of its inner content and eventually, in that day, remember, that's what we're talking about, was discarded. He argues that later, the institution of race-based kidnapping-fueled slavery in the new world was so out of accord with biblical principles that Christians led the fight to have slavery abolished with an asterisk, right? Certainly not perfectly, with tons of abuses, we're not going to you know, discard that, but progressively as the gospel took root in people's hearts. And friends, this is so important to know because in our world today, people are always looking to discredit the Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, the Bible endorses slavery. And if it does that, it must be wrong about all the other things it teaches. See, your Bible endorses slavery. So why should I trust that about this Jesus stuff? These are called atomic lies, right? Ever go fishing? When you go fishing, you try to take a little worm, put it on a hook, and the worm is bobbing there in the water, so the fish sees the worm, bites it, and then he's hooked. So these atomic lies have a little tiny bit of truth in it. That the Bible does talk about slavery. So take just a little bit of truth, but it has a hook in it, right? Because not completely. You don't see the whole picture. They're atomic lies. The com- they stop the conversation dead in its tracks, Quite a few of my family members, not believers in Jesus. And they said things to me like, well, Jesus can't be the only way to God. That's way too narrow. Or we can't believe the Bible is true because it's been rewritten so many times. Or there's so much evil in the world. So there can't be an all good and all powerful God out there. So you see, there's little tiny bits of truth in there, but there's also hooks. There's also lies. So if you bite that, you're going to get hooked right? They're called atomic lies. The Bible endorsing slavery is another example of an atomic lie, a defeater belief that could stop us dead in our tracks. 
But when we take a few minutes to look at what it was like in Peter's day, as we see the transforming power of the gospel all through society of that time and in those relationships between servants and masters, hopefully we can answer this objection with the truth that God was not condoning slavery as we know it, but was changing it from the inside out through the gospel. So let me repeat that again for effect. God was not condoning slavery as we know it, but was changing it from the inside out through the gospel. Jesus himself became a servant and died to set us free in him. The gospel literally changes everything it touches. It's that powerful. It's that strong. So with that in view, I want to take Peter's words now and say, okay, what is the gospel doing in this, right? And I hope it makes a little more sense now what Peter is saying in verses 18 through 20. So let's look at it yet again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So Peter, in his day, mind us, is telling servants to be subject to their masters with all respect. He tells them the type of master they're submitting to isn't really the point, but their behavior toward them is. He tells them to respect their masters the good and the gentle ones, and the unjust ones also. In verses 19 and 20, Peter tells them it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, they endured sorrows while suffering unjustly. He reminds them there's no credit to their account when they do something wrong and are punished for it. So my old pastor was telling a story about how before he was in ministry, he was a steel worker. And one of his co-workers got radically saved. Now, my pastor at the time, when he was a steel worker, wasn't saved yet. But one of his co-workers, I think he called him Crazy Ted, got saved. And Crazy Ted, man, he, whew, he fit his name pretty well. And so Crazy Ted gets saved. And he used to bring his Bible then to work and read it on company time. Not on his break, mind you, but when he should have been working. So his boss saw this fired him on the spot, and the guy threw a fit that he was being persecuted for his faith. I'm being persecuted for my faith. I can read the Bible here at work. My pastor laughed as he told this and and said, you know what? The guy wasn't being fired for being Christian. He was being fired for being a knucklehead. He's supposed to work during work hours, right? And this guy's like, no, I'm going to read my Bible during work hours. No, you're not. You're going to work, or you're not going to work anymore. And that's what happened. The guy got fired. So Peter's saying a similar thing to his servants, to these servants. He tells them to be subject to their masters, the good ones and the bad ones, to do good, and if necessary, to endure sorrows, because that's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, in other places in the Scriptures, in 1 Corinthians 7, for example, Paul says, listen, if you could win your freedom, go ahead, do that. Certainly do that. But if not, see your higher calling as to live as the Lord's bondservants, while serving their masters faithfully. 
So that's what it looked like, again, in Peter's day to be subject as servants in his day. So I want to build a bridge now to look at, well, what's it look like in our day, right? So point number two is being subject to our employers today. So let's take a look one more time, then we'll move on to the next verses at verses 18 through 20. But I want, to, I want us to read them with our employers and our employment in view. Sound good? All right, so take a look. Servants or employees, be subject to your masters, employers, right? So employees, be subject to your employers with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are fired or reprimanded for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So we, as employees, are to be subject to our employers with some respect. Wait, no, it didn't say some. With all respect. <laughs> I thought it said some on my paper here. It doesn't. <laughs> Actually, it does. I've heard it as a little joke, but it says all, right? And all, it's funny. It's this little Greek word. The word for all is this little Greek word that means all, right? It's all, respect. And respect here means an attitude without bitterness or negativity, but one of gracious honor. So do you see why we need Jesus to live this Christian life, right? Uh, we need his help with this, to not go into work with an attitude of bitterness, or negativity, but with an attitude of gracious honor. <laughs> Jesus, help, right? So Peter's telling us that this kind of respect applies to good and gentle bosses and the unjust ones as well. I was looking at MacArthur's seminar, uh, his, his commentary on this, and this, he said the good here means one who is upright, beneficial, and satisfactory for another's need. Gentle refers to one who is considerate, reasonable and fair. Therefore, good and gentle describes a magnanimous, kind, and gracious person, the kind of master or employer it's easy to, to submit to. It's easy to submit to a boss like that. We, we would all want to have a boss with those kind of qualities, but that's not always the case. Sometimes we're going to have a boss who's unjust. Unjust means crooked, perverse, and or dishonest. I've had a few bosses like that over the years, really my, my first few jobs. As a new believer, it was really hard learning how to submit to unjust bosses. But it did a good work in me to learn how to apply the gospel to my work. That I was like, oh yeah, the gospel applies there too. And to realize it's not about deserving, right, and demanding. Not about that. It, realize Jesus is my highest boss. If there's anything we get today, Jesus is our highest boss. We work not for our bosses here, right? We work for him first and foremost. And then as a result of our working for him as our highest boss, then that leads us then to work for and honor and submit to our lower bosses, right? Jesus is our highest boss, and we work for him first and foremost. It was, for me, at least in my experience, a Romans 5 kind of experience where I was learning to rejoice in my sufferings because suffering was producing endurance, endurance was producing character, and character was producing hope. Or it was kind of like a James 1 experience. 
that the setting of those early jobs, I was learning how to count it all joy to be working in those conditions because my faith was being tested. It was being tested. I was like, oh, wow, like this, this gospel thing, this Bible thing, like it actually applies to my work. I didn't know that. I thought it just applied to singing here and doing things in church. Oh, my gosh, take the gospel out of the box and apply it to my work? What? Yep, it works there too. <laughs> so these conditions for my faith was being tested and God was producing steadfast in me that was, I think, growing to maturity or at least starting in that direction. And if I'm being totally honest, I don't know if I'm always thankful for the ways God wants to grow me into maturity, right? Can we just be honest and say, God, thank you. I love that I'm going through this hard trial right now because it's growing me into maturity. Woo! I'm not always thankful for that. Maybe you are. Maybe I need to learn from you. But I'm not always thankful for the ways he wants to grow me into maturity. But hard jobs with challenging bosses will certainly do that to us if we let them. So if, or really when, we find ourselves in situations like this, I pray that Peter's words would ring in our ears. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So we looked at, what it looked like to be subject in Peter's day. And we just built a bridge, number two, and we're looking at what it looks like to be to our subject to our employers in our day. But why? Why would Peter's readers do that? Why should we do this? Isn't it easier just to be grumpy and cantankerous and frustrated at work? And, you know, if everyone's gossiping and slandering the boss, just to jump in and join them. Like, we really need to be different. Spoiler alert, yes. <laughs> He's calling us to be different, right? We're his people. He's calling us to deal with these things differently. And now we're going to see what that main reason is. Our third point and our final point for today is the main reason for our subjection is coming from these verses in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. Here's the big why. Here's why we do this. Here it is. For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter tells his readers then and us today that the reason we do this, drum roll please, right? The reason we do this is Jesus. We can live this new way submitted to our employers, doing good work at our jobs in a respectful and gracious way because of Jesus and the gospel. Look at what Peter tells us about him. Let's savor this. Let's feast on this. This is what he's telling us about our Lord and Savior. Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example so we might follow in his steps. The word for example here is only used here in the entire New Testament. It means a writing or drawing that a student 
reproduces. As an artist, and I know there's some more out here, right? As an as artist, I love this. That's how I learned to draw. I would sit on my porch, I'd pick out a paper, a, a piece, a picture, and I'd be like, I kind of want to draw that. And I, I would like, focus on the picture, and then I'd like try to like reproduce the lines on my page. I would do my best to sketch it in an identical way. And that's what we're being invited to do with Jesus. We were to see him. We were to look at him. Our eyes are to be on him. And then with his help, by the Spirit, to draw his steps onto the easel, onto the sketchbook of our lives. Peter tells us that Jesus committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he didn't, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So if we're going to follow in his steps, we have to see him going first. He did what we couldn't. He did all of this without committing sin. He did this without there being deceit in his mouth. When Jesus was reviled, he did not return evil for evil. When he suffered in our place, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the Father. And I think that is key for us. Left on our own, friends, we don't stand a chance to live this way on our own, do we? As Jeff said last week, the Christian life is not just hard. It's impossible. This, this high calling that this message is calling us to today, we can't do this without Jesus living in us and empowering us to live this new way. We can't do this without seeing what he's done for us first. And as we see what he's done for us first, as we let, that, we let our hearts marinate in the gospel, right? It starts coming out of us, but we've got to see him going first. This is impossible without Christ. So aren't we glad then that the life Jesus is calling us to is not a life where we can just try to do this on our own, in our own strength, but we are to do this with him in us. That's the secret, right? Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Aren't you glad that what Jesus calls us to, he enables us to do with his presence and his grace and his strength in us? That's a good spot to say amen, <laughs> right? So Peter reminds us that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? So we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So the very life Jesus is calling us to is the very life he wants to live in us and through us. He wants us every day with his help to reckon ourselves dead to sin. It's not who we are anymore right? And to reckon ourselves alive to God in him. He wants us as new people in him to, new, to live new righteous lives through him and with him. By his wounds, we have been healed. And the last thing Peter tells us about our amazing Lord and Savior is that we were straying like sheep. They like to stray, right? You know how sheep like to kind of wander off? Well, that's what we were doing, wandering off. But we have returned Again, not by our own smarts or intelligence or whatever. We've returned because he got us. He came here and he found us. We've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So with Jesus as the shepherd and overseers of our souls now, he can help us live this new way. The main reason why we are to live this new way is, be, think of it, is because Jesus submitted himself to the crooked, unjust system of his day. It was gracious in God's eyes when Jesus, mindful of his father, endured tremendous sorrow and unjust suffering. He committed no sin, but was beaten as if he did. He did good, 
and yet suffered and endured in our place. So God is calling us then to see Jesus, to see Jesus, our perfect Savior who committed no sin with not a word of deceit in his mouth, with no reviling for reviling, with no threatening as he suffered, bearing our sins in his body on the cross so that we might be healed and return to him, dying to sin, living to righteousness, and being subject in our day, in this case, to our employers with all respect. And that respect then, with Jesus' help, looks like not having deceit in our mouths at work, not reviling when reviled, not threatening if we suffer, but entrusting ourselves to a God who judges justly. And why do we do this? Because Jesus went first. The gospel literally changes everything it touches. And in this case, the invitation is for us to let the gospel impact our work lives. Will we let the gospel do its work, (laughs) pun intended, Will will we let the gospel do its work on our work? Will we let the gospel do its work on our work life? So, as we wrap up today, I just want to pause for a second and reflect on what God is saying to us this morning. So what are you saying to us today, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit? What are you saying to us today? Perhaps the Lord is calling us to be subject to our employers with all respect, not only the good ones and gentle ones, but the unjust ones as well. Perhaps he's calling us to pray for our bosses, to lift them up before the Lord. Like we said last week, it is not easy being a boss. Maybe we can ask the Lord how he would like us to honor our bosses somehow. Write them a card, give them a gift, tell them something we appreciate about them. I'm sure bosses hear all sorts of junk and bad stuff each day, but what if we told them how we see Jesus in them? That's powerful. Or perhaps Jesus is calling us to follow in his steps, to literally trace his ways onto the sketchbook of our lives, to not gossip or slander at work, but to take those thoughts to God. If they're there, take them to God. Deal with them with him and put Jesus on display through our lives in the workplace. Perhaps that looks like showing up on time, (laughs) doing a good job, working hard during our work hours, remembering that Jesus is our real boss and letting Jesus transform what it looks like to live honorably and Christ-like at our jobs. Or perhaps he's calling us to see him afresh, bearing our sins so we could live a new life in him. With Jesus as the shepherd and overseers of our souls, how is he calling us to see our jobs, our employers, our co-workers? Can we trust him if he has led us to a hard job? Can we go to him and ask him his thoughts on our employment? if he wants us to stay or to do something else. The Lord is really, 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 really good at leading us because he's our shepherd. 
He's our overseer. So with his help, let's not just react to our job situation. Let's invite Jesus into it. Let's ask him what he wants to teach us through our jobs. A great question to ask is, Jesus, what are you teaching me in this season and through this particular experience? What are you teaching me in the season you have me in, the season you have us in, and through the experiences that we find ourselves in? However God's speaking to us this morning, my prayer is that we would let the gospel not just impact our Sunday lives and our eternity. It does impact those, but we would let it impact everything else, starting with our work, right? That we would let the gospel change everything and that we would let it do its work in our work. So if you need prayer for this, I just want to encourage you, as Jeff encourages kind of to move around, look around you. There's people here that say, you know, I could probably relate to you. I can probably listen to you. I can probably say, you know what? My work life is hard. Look around. Pray with someone. Find support. Don't let it just be a, a, a bashing session, right? Don't play that, uh, let's, let's do the prayer game, but really let's gossip, but call it prayer. <laughs> Got quiet there. Uh, don't do that, right? Let's actually say, okay, I'm having a trouble with my work. Would you please pray for me? Help me to, to bring the gospel into it. And maybe God's calling me out of it into something else. Find people here we can pray with. The elders are all going to be all around. They're going to be some up here, some in the back, right? They love to pray for us. So if you're like, I just, I just need kind of a recalibration of my thinking about employment. I'm just, I'm struggling with my work. Don't just run out today. Find someone to pray with. Find support and encouragement so that this passage, this gospel that Peter's telling us can sink into our work lives. So with that, I'm going to pray. And I just want to encourage you guys, look around. If you need prayer, please don't just zip out. Pray. Find encouragement so that the gospel can impact our work. Let's pray. So, Father, I want to thank you for, gosh, a very challenging passage in 1 Peter today. Hasn't been easy preaching through this, but it's been good. It's been challenging. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for that. And I just want to pray for every single person here who's employed, who is working for a boss. I pray, Lord, that as we are working for a boss, that we would see them through your eyes. Perhaps we've only seen our bosses through our eyes or through others' eyes. Perhaps we've only seen our bosses through their actions at our workplace. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see them like you do. Maybe some of these bosses don't yet know you. Maybe some do. Maybe some are younger in their faith. I'm not sure. But Lord, I pray that you would help us take this passage in 1 Peter to heart, that we would see our employers, we'd be subject to them with all respect, that we'd find out what it looks like to work hard and to put Jesus on display in our job and through our job and through our work ethic at our jobs. So, Lord, please, we lift up our bosses to you. Whoever they are, whatever they're doing right now, we lift them up to you. Lord, if they don't know you, I pray that they would have their hearts softened. I pray that they would see our good work ethic. I pray that they would see Jesus through our lives and that they would come to know you. And, Lord, if our bosses do know you, Oh, Lord, and even if they don't, we pray for wisdom on all accounts for every single boss represented in this room. We pray for incredible wisdom and insight. And we pray, Lord, that just the, the heavy mantle of being a boss would drive them to their knees and drive them to you. And we pray for all of us here who are employees that you would help us, Lord, to let the gospel impact our work life, that we would let it transform how we look at our employment 
how we do our work. Lord, we, I pray all of us would see you as our boss. No matter how good or bad our boss is, we would see you as our boss. And the kind of life that we would lead, would lead at our jobs would reflect the gospel and reflect your goodness to us. Lord, we feel the weight of this. We can't do this without you. So please keep enabling us by your spirit and through the encouragement of our church family here to work in such a way that people would see Jesus and the gospel through us. Lord, help us if we're struggling to not just run out, but pray and to find support and encouragement and to follow you because you're the shepherd and overseer. So Lord, we give you our work and our biggest and, and, and greatest prayer this morning is that the gospel would impact every area of our life, including our work. So thank you for our time this morning. Lord, we just want to submit all of this to you. Anything that really truly is from you, let it sink in. Anything not, let it fall away. But we pray, Lord, that this word would sink deep into our hearts and transform us from the inside out. So we love you. Thank you for your word. Let it keep doing its work in us. In your name, amen.